Welcome to the latest installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today we're live speaking to four tech leaders on a very intriguing topic. So we're here to discuss from engineer to engineering leadership with the aim of providing value to both engineers and engineering leaders alike. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So I mentioned the four, the four guests, so I'm going to go around the room, get some general introductions from each of them. So if you could tell me a little bit about what you do, your interests outside of work. So we'll start off with Jesper. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, and thank you for, for having me. So I'm, uh, I'm Jesper Mok. I'm currently the head of engineering at a crypto uh, platform company called Coinify, where I uh, have sort of a, two, a split role. So one is managing the engineering department on a personal leadership uh, practice, uh, both for the individuals and the teams as units. And then I also cater for the agile processes across the country, uh, across the organization. Um, so both how do teams work, but also how do we work as an organization? How do we leverage the knowledge? How do we make sure that it flows uh, properly? So I coach, uh, you say, outwards and upwards to, to anybody who cares to listen and uh, who has to listen. So so those are my main responsibilities. I'd say outside of work, I'm a, I'm a family man. I'm married and I have two kids. And then when I need a break from that as well, I go for a run or I go for a round of golf uh, when when weather and time permits. So so that's uh, that's me. You do know a lot, Jesper. When you need a break from that, should be listening. Yeah. So if we move on to Maria, could we get a little introduction from yourself, please? Yeah. Uh, my name is Maria Kasten. Uh I uh, used to run a, a company where we did um, the health apps, medical apps for the hospitals, uh, but also for uh, midwives and stuff. Um, so I used to lead a couple of engineers. I actually went out of that uh, I have one and a half year ago and uh, proceeded to another position, but currently I am at VSA, VSA Rheology, uh, where I am sitting as a product owner. It's a bit different than what I'm used to, but uh, it's very exciting and let's see where we go from here. So yeah, I have three kids. One is one year old, so uh, yeah, lot of job there, but yeah, no spare time, I mean. <laughs> Thank you, Maria. And if we move on to Henrik, a little introduction from yourself, please, Maria. Yeah. Hi. Thank you for having me. So my name is Henrik. I'm an engineering manager at Viable Scientific, which is a radar company located in Denmark. And there I am managing a team of roughly 20 people where we are responsible for writing all the software that does the processing of the radar signals, essentially getting all the data from the hardware teams that we have and, and transforming that into information. Um, yeah, uh, I've been working there for eight years. So started out doing a lot of integrated details, but now mostly doing managing. Um, outside of that, I, uh, I'm married, I have two kids and if I'm not with them, I, I practice uh, martial arts, play board games. 
Very nice. What martial arts should you do? Um, karate, should have at the moment. Very nice. And last but not least, Josh, if you'd like to give us a little bit of an introduction, who you are, what you do, interests outside of work. Yeah. Hello, thanks for having me. I'm Josh View, technical lead engineer for Infosys. I've been working at Infosys for four years, over 12 years of experience in the IT sector. I manage a global team, I'm currently technology lead for all of the EUC VDI infrastructure for our company. So it's yeah, a pretty big organization. I'm sure you've heard of us. So yeah, uh, working on some big projects for uh, clients in the wind farm, wind industry. So outside of work, I married two kids and another one on the way. And effectively, other than that, I am doing football gym wherever time permits outside of trying to keep a family going to be honest all sounds like you've got very active um family lives when did you do josh 28th of february so very not, not far <laughs> that's my new birthday as well 28th of february yeah I'm, I'm my wife's birthday so busy times <laughs> <laughs> so i appreciate all the introductions i mean very different organizations be it in the healthcare industry of maria and crypto that jesper's in a radar company such as Henrix or information services like Josh's. But I mean, the one thing that we all have in common or the one thing that the four guests have in common is that they have experience leading engineers. So I'm looking to get a little bit of inside knowledge, some of the information that they have and share it with the community. So Josh, I know you had a question to post to the group that's very relevant to this topic. Yeah. So I'll start by saying, um, since transitioning from engineer to engineering lead, what are the core challenges you find with keeping your team motivated whilst maintaining a balance between constructive criticism, empowerment, and personal development of your team? Yeah, I'll try to start answering that one. Um, when I was in the uh, position of leading uh, these um, engineers, my one of my challenges was that the team grew very very fast and also outside of Denmark and um, to keep them motivated I believe it's important to give some ownership uh, of, of a specific um, we were, at that point we were working on a hospital app for uh, it ended up to be a corona app so <laughs> highly relevant and, and we were all really really busy on doing it but it was very important to give people a part of an ownership of the application to actually feel that they had a part to say also um, which meant that I pulled the plug of, of the system to begin with because they, they prefer to, to do it differently than what we have been taking over from the UX team um, but listening to the people uh, hearing what they are saying uh, of course discussing it before taking a decision but actually giving the team also to have a part of an ownership on 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 the system they are building i believe that was that was one of the the best things that that we could do at this at this point um and not just forcing things on them but but still at the same time of course if if they came with a it was a very sensitive system so you could not just put anything inside of it you cannot just use open source as you wish when you are doing the hospital app. um so there are some ways where you have to just <laughs> be a bit harsh and say this is not doable um but definitely giving them the chance to affect the parts of the system that is affectable. That was one of the ways to, to keep them motivated and, and be sure that they had their hands on what was interesting. I think it's a great point directly related to the empowerment of engineers is keeping them motivated by providing ownership. I mean, Jesper, what's your take on this question? Yeah, I was about to say the same, that, that I really like this approach of sort of very 
deliberately and specifically handing over the ownership saying this is yours of course there are some uh, constraints within which you need to operate given the organization uh, so i completely support uh, making very clear that the ownership lies with the team uh, to the extent possible so what i like to do is i have uh, i guess all of us uh, do from time to time have the one-to-ones so whenever i'm engaging with a, an employee of mine um, i like to spend the one-to-ones really getting to know sort of as i also mentioned initially uh, the person behind not just the colleague, not just the skill set, but building that relationship over time then helps me better communicate the constructive criticism because it'll be based on how do I see this person uh, in front of me? What sort of what motivation do they have? What triggers do they have? How can I leverage that so we find some productive ways of uh, of growing and learning? So I really like to establish that uh, quite early on, and then of course uh, continuously build on it. That also means with the empowerment that I can trust the person and the teams in general to say, okay, I understand what type of people you are, uh, how you take up responsibilities, how you would like to steer clear of some parts and then take ownership of other parts. So we continuously align the the expectations of you actually own this, you're empowered to do this. Um, these are within your boat. Your your skill set and your mandate to to execute upon the brilliant ideas you have. So I guess it, it comes for me very much down to the the personal understanding of whom I'm working with. Uh, that that yeah, it, it's quite uh, sort of in, ingrown in in how I lead people and how I want to empower people to do that. It starts a lot with the with the people in there. Um, I would say for the for the aspect of the personal development, it actually ties back to the same thing because once you build a sort of a trustful relationship, it becomes more and more sort of acceptable to point out and think you actually have some weaknesses here and there. How can we facilitate your growth in this area? And without having established sort of a trustful relationship, it's really tough to start a conversation with saying, I don't think you're doing well, or how do you see yourself performing in that area? You'd need to sort of establish this uh, over time. So for me, it starts a lot with the with the people and then sort of scaling it to, to those aspects tied to to be mentioned on the topic. Yeah, I think the people approach there is the main thing you can take from that statement that you've made. And I think yeah, still in trust definitely. is such a massive part. So how do you go about that on a day-to-day basis? You know, ensuring that they, they feel trusted and they've, they've enabled that empowerment. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question because one thing is saying it and another thing is actually adding it and implementing it. So so one thing is the one-to-ones. Uh, of course, that's just the just in, in quotation marks. It's a scheduled conversation, but I, I'm always available. So. So what I try to do is also make it clear when I represent uh, my engineering teams outwards is to also have their backs, also to, to make sure that please don't, uh, we have a mantra, but don't don't give us solutions, give us problems because we have very, very competent people. So you don't need to sit in PowerPoint uh, and design the pixel perfect solution and then hand over say, hey, build this, this will uh, realize the benefits will everyone no tell us the problem because we have an empowered and autonomous and all those uh, fancy buzzwords team that are actually quite competent and can think of five different ways to solve the problem and some of them might be better some of them might be worse but this is what they do so so that's how i try to enact it on a day-to-day basis to really show that trust uh, the team to give them a problem because they're competent and they're empowered to to do so that that's uh, one of the main things uh, it, it's so that it oozes through the organization. So it luckily it hasn't been that big of a struggle, but it's one of the things to be very aware of that uh, we're, we're giving them problems to solve rather than the solutions to just uh, mind-numbingly go ahead and, and implement. I think that's a great a great example. I think you're not only addressing the problem, but you're also giving them the option to go and solve that problem. And I think that does enable mm. empowerment. So yeah. what about yourself, Henry? What's your take on this one? Well, 
um, I think I think you can recognize a lot from 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 Jesper and Maria in 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 my company. So for me, motivation is also very much about delegation empowerment. That that you say that that you need to do this and you can do it how you want, but but also to make sure that when you assign people that a task that is relevant for the company from day one. So what I try to do at least is to, to find a task that's, that's not critical so that they won't just be run over if, if they fail, but it's still something that, that will make them, after perhaps a couple of months the company, look at a radar system that does something amazing and say, I did part of that, and sort of can recognize that, that what that part they did actually made a difference for, for someone. I think that's, that's, um, that's important. I also sometimes it's also um, important to push people outside their comfort zone a bit. That that sort of ties into to 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 the whole personal growth part because uh, at least for for in my experience when when the team grows, you suddenly need your skill sets. You can't do things the way you used to do, and and both the transition can can give you some growing pains, but but it can also allow you to present people with new opportunities that that they might not have thought of initially that they would be interested in, like uh, project management or process development, things like that. So so I think sometimes you 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 push people outside of that. Sometimes they hey that was amazing, and sometimes they don't. And then then it's also important just to be able to say, okay, I hear that was not for you. We'll we'll figure out something else instead of saying uh, pushing people to 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 continue in that direction. Actually, just a sorry, just a note. I, I really like how you want to present some valuable tasks so you can see that the team or the team members get a sense of hey, I contributed to that valuable uh, delivery. Uh, I really like that approach to to keep that as a focus uh, on on making them feel empowered and how they contribute. So I thought it was a really good point. Thanks. Yeah. Um. I can just hand off to Josh. Yeah. So. I'll start by saying, you know, what keeps us uh, a team motivated in my eyes is, you know, when you're trying to direct uh, learning towards them, you, you know, it's not all just about setting KPIs. You need to actually have a, a good dialogue, especially for me working with a global team. It's important that not only do you talk to them on a professional level, but you understand them on a personal level and understand the feedback that they provide you and where they want to go with their their growth um when it comes to constructive criticism you know it's making them feel like they haven't made mistakes you have to kind of analyze where there was a problem or something didn't go as well as expected but also to not direct it to the individual but to the team as a whole you know so this then, you know, because because what I find in my teams is sometimes they, they don't want to speak up uh, simply for fear that they might look silly with some of the answers they provide. So th this is important in, you know, ensuring that everyone feels fine. You want to be approachable as well. You you know, you, you want your team to, to want to be able to come to you and say directly, you know what, I, yeah, I, I might have done this better the next time by going a different route but um you know it, it's much easier to to tackle it a problem at a time and i always say you know let's hit the low-hanging fruit first so by that i mean you know what are the what are the biggest problems you're facing and how can you re resolve those um i think that's i think that's a great point in terms of psychological safety in terms of ensuring that people don't feel isolated through the fails and you know you create an environment where that's allowed so i can see that all the things that you put forward are great ways to ensure motivation 
but Alina's put a question in the chat, which is very interesting. So if, a, if an employee is demotivated, what approach would you take to get this back? Yeah, it is a you good question. Yeah, it is. You, you just need to have really good interpersonal skills. You know, it's all great, well and good being a, a technical person and, and, you know, having that technical knowledge. But you have to you have to balance that really well with understanding the person. Um, and, and that's going back to my point earlier, where on a personal level, you need to kind of understand what makes them tick. You need to find what are their personal attributes that, that are, are really going to motivate them? So it all comes hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. I, I would like to add a bit. So, so I also think that that one should. Sorry, Hemick. It seems you've cut out for a moment there, mate. If you know, fortunately, it just seems to be a little lack of um, a lack of connection. If you try and plug in the headset, maybe. No, it's just uh, Bluetooth only. And we've got you back there. Oh, okay. Excellent. Sorry. Uh, so, so what I was trying to say is that. That when you start talking to that employee, you them again. same issue again, Henry. Anybody else like to take this one? Yeah, when, yeah, um, yeah. I'd like to, to share my uh, my views on it because uh, one thing I also appreciate was the psychological safety aspects of what Josh mentioned before. So making you yourself approachable should also reflect on the fact or on sort of the way people behave that they feel approachable because you answer and accept open questions and and sort of engage in that. Uh, but uh, to Alina's question, um, I think it's an interesting question because all of us discuss the, basically the happy path of people who want to be empowered and they want to grow and they are motivated and want to do all this. So with demotivated uh, employees, I think it would be beneficial to really sit down and, and have a heart-to-heart -heart of where does this employee see themselves being happy. So if it's a different role, different company or different uh, skill set, whatever it might be, and then find ways to to get there. So usually it will be this this guiding star somewhere very distant in the future or very different from today's role. And then what I like to do is, is break it down to so backtrack. So if you want to be there in 12 months, where can we get you to in nine months and in six months and in three months? And what can we start today? So we embark on this sort of uh, getting the motivation back journey um, by actually saying, okay, these are the steps that they might be tough for now you might have to balance uh, doing some courses or certification or uh, adopting new skills but it leads us uh, in the right direction of where you want to go and how can i help you uh, facilitate that journey so i think that would be an approach of saying okay i can't fix your problem here now you won't be uh, fully motivated by next week but let's figure out what it'll take and how how do we get that i think that would be uh, my approach to it. i think that's some great points that you've you've raised in terms of the exploration of why why the demotivation occurs and ways in which you can improve it. I think it's a real action plan for anybody listening. But bringing it back I'll, to agree. I'll agree with Jesper there and going back to what the point he raised earlier about the one-to-one, -one, I think that's really important and, and something that I actually do monthly on a monthly basis with, with my team as well. So it's it's really important to find out, you know, because not everyone wants to uh, progress at the same rate. Uh, you know, it's such a variable. Yeah, so definitely. You can come up with all the development plans you, you could ever dream of and then present them to the employee. If you're not aligned, then they'll just be even more overwhelmed and demotivated. Exactly. Uh, to, to make sense uh, in, in how, how do we see them, uh, how do they see themselves? That's right. You have to tailor it towards the individual to, yeah. to see where where they see their, their future yeah. focus. But you're like, like, like uh, was mentioned just before, also to, to have a conversation with the, with the person behind because it might not be the work that is demotivating it could as well just be some part in the privacy sphere that is kind of conflicting with the work at that time and just taking out the energy of that person 
Um, I mean, when I work with people sitting remote, it was like by pure accident that I found out one was recently a father. Well, I'm like, why can you say anything? <laughs> I fully understand that you're tired at the moment. I mean, take a break. Um, so it might just, it might seem as a demotivation, but actually be something completely different. Um, so it's definitely worth taking yeah. one on one with with the with the person first and finding out what is actually what is actually the the issue. Or I mean, being a father is not an issue, but but what is actually the thing going on right now? And and is it something that we should do differently, or or is it something that will just where you just need some time and some space? Yes, yeah, certainly. I think some great points raised there. Thank you for the question in the chat, Alina. But Maria, I know you had a great question to post to the group as well. Yeah, I did because I had have some thought myself on that. So going from engineer to engineering leadership, how did you consider which leadership skills to bring with you? I mean, how did you also uh, combo them with the technical expertise? Um, I did quite some thoughts, so I would like to hear what your thoughts uh, were went from yeah. being an engineer to engineering leadership. I'd like to... Yeah, my input our reflections on that. I think it's it's very interesting since we are discussing from engineer to leadership. And I actually had the sort of the benefit of gradually transitioning, uh, so still being an engineer, but also uh, being uh, given some team leadership responsibilities. And at that point, it was quite clear that, uh, and it was no secret either, that I wasn't by by any means the best developer in the team. Um, so so there's some clear responsibilities already made. So I transitioned more into managing the the people leadership skills the agile practices the performance uh, monitoring the one-to-ones again uh, getting started actually on this knowing the people underneath and, and how do we do that so we had a clear distinction saying that okay some uh, other team members were respectively the front-end uh, tech leads and the back-end tech leads and some designers so it was quite clear in, in roles that I could then leverage my technical understanding, obviously given that I was still I was still a full stack developer and a team lead now. So I could leverage the understanding, but I didn't sort of uh, fool myself and believe that just because I was now named team lead that I had all the answers. By no means. I had very competent and way more competent people than myself in the team. So leveraging their competences and knowing my own shortcomings made the transition so much easier to then focus, okay, I'm going to focus on when our stakeholders are bothering us or when we need to collaborate with other teams or when management puts out new directors for whatever, then that's on me and the technical execution, uh, that's on you. So that was sort of the transition. And I guess over time, I've managed to to leverage my background as engineer to, well, I like to phrase it that I, I talk tech, uh, but I don't do tech. So, so I can appreciate the complexities of software development, but I don't offer solutions, but I can still act in that gap between traditional business and IT and understand, okay, what's going on so I can shield the engineers from those uh, business heavy conversation and vice versa and sort of try to bridge that gap of, uh, I don't know, translation. <laughs> Maybe sometimes it, it seems like different languages, right? Uh, so, so that's how I try to leverage my technical background uh, in, and I still appreciate and understand what, what are they talking about? get a rough idea of the architecture and the systems and services and whatnot. But from then on, it's the, the details are with the team and I then apply a different skill set on the leadership and agile practices and organizational structures and so on. So that's, uh, yeah. Okay. Any other inputs? Can I? Um, so um, for me, I think it was a lot less uh, conscious decision when you, the, the, the question was phrased up of like what I, I took with me and I don't think it was aware as a leader at that time when I transitioned from, from engineer to engineering manager. Um, 
Also, our team was very small. So I think initially I started out being very sort of in the role as a technical mentor and not as a traditional leader per se. And first off, it was because I think I have two people in my team at that at that time. So it was very small and they were both relatively new hires. So, so they didn't have a lot of background within the company. Um, and also uh, um, sort of the, 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 the kind of work we did were very much sort of uh, intense and, and closely knit with hardware and so on. So, so it was more startup, if you will, than, than sort of big business. Um, it quickly became though that, that my primary role would be to, to try and shield my team from, from all the changes in, from other management. So, so that became part of, part of my, my day that I, that I would, would talk, uh, tech stacks downwards and then try to, to figure out, to avoid having new directions set for us two times a week, but that we could actually finish the other task before we, we were asked to do something else. Um, and, I, and looking back from my career and, and other companies, it, Feel that that would probably be a, be a common thing in, in a lot of engineering companies. I don't know if it's if it's the same with you guys. Uh, and so, yeah. But, so later it's changed. You know, you get put on courses and the skill set grows and, and so on. But, but at least initially it was a, it was very tech focused. So I think it's, it came natural because that was where I was. But it's also a good idea to sort of pledge your strengths initially instead of trying to do something that you you're not actually capable of. That will yeah. most likely not lead to a good thing. Um, what's your take, Josh? Yeah, I mean, for me, I can really relate to this question because I came up from the ground up, real grafter. So, you know, I've, I've started right from, uh, you know, service test level one. But the benefit of doing what I've done uh, for 12 years is I've been uh, working for, you know, MSPs. So multi-service providers, I get exposure for a lot of different businesses and that's allowed me to uh, understand different businesses, their shifting focus, their different uh, requirements within IT and what leverages they need to prioritize. And it's, I, I can really understand and relate now going into a leadership role, um, the, the challenges from each level and what they face and when i give my team a task there's nothing that i would particularly give them that i haven't done or experienced myself so i think that's always important to relate to um and that's really how i combined it with with my technical expertise as well in the sense that you know i i understand what it's like to to be under stress um that that pressure in you know when you're trying to resolve real-time incidents, you know, those P1 major incidents and, you know, you, you really have to get in the zone and focus. So it, it's really helped me. Um, I don't take anything for granted either. So yeah, I think seeing all that and having the exposure going from small, medium enterprises and then scaling up and seeing the problems and challenges that I've faced from the, the small business and now seeing it on a, on a bigger scale it comes with different challenges when you work in global enterprise uh, a lot more you know procedures paperwork uh, <laughs> you know so it I, I see all the different challenges from different scopes and so that's I, I believe has made me a good leader in understanding those challenges and being able to tackle them dependent on the the scenario that I'm 
face to it. Some brilliant points uh, from Henrik's perspective. Start with your strengths, don't overpromise and try to deliver things that are undeliverable. And then from both Jesper and Josh, I think Jesper said he was a full-stack developer, hands-on, engineering background, understands the role. And as Josh put it, he's a real grafter. He started off in them positions and he wouldn't give somebody something that he wouldn't do himself. Maria, you posed this question to the group in terms of skills that you bring over into engineering leadership. So what's your take on it? What would you advise? Well, I um, the reason to ask the question was actually because, as I mentioned before, the, the hospitals app, app uh, for the corona uh, went quite crazy <laughs> due to corona. And... Uh, I mean, it was not meant to be for COVID at the beginning. And then just because we could like uh, monitor patients and they were like, oh, let's monitor the COVID patients. And then it just went nuts. I mean, the team grew very fast and I was like not sleeping and had to follow up with the whole scaling, uh, which was, I mean, my mistake because I scaled the team, but but uh, it, was, it was a time where I really had to think about the numbers of leaders that I have had in my life earlier on what I thought they did good, what they did bad, uh, what kind of leader I most definitely would not be uh, was a part of it. I could also look into other groups of the team. Uh, I mean, we were doing all the software for the mobile application. That was you know, completely my team doing that. Uh, I came in as a an external company, so I mean, it was me running the project. We were doing all the software for the application, mobile application. But I were I was I was able to look to the other parts of the hospital, of the different aspects and, and and seeing how they did their things and I was like some of it was like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put that into my team. Uh, and one thing that I am taking out of this is all of you are saying shielding, which was my main task at that point. Shield all the developers from all the things coming from the doctors that they want in the app, but tomorrow they don't want it. So just today, I mean, and preferably yesterday, but tomorrow it doesn't matter anymore. So, so the shielding was like, I mean, that was really something and, and not what I expected it would, that would be my main task. And considering the leaders, uh, I have been having throughout my life so far, some of them has been really good. Some of them have been really not so good. And, uh, I mean, I really tried to take the best out of it. And of course I had to pull myself out of it a bit because I used to sit doing all the development of the applications. So it was like, I don't have time for that right now. Uh, and, and that was a, that was a bit of a thing to, you know, it was a bit of a bummer. I can't put my fingers inside of it. I don't have the time to get the complete understanding down in the, all the APIs and all the things we are running and I had to to just get the brief understanding but um, I believe that was like that was like a personal thing I had to work with but the leadership that I had to to consider how do I see myself as a leader and I actually spent a lot of time doing that at that time. Go, going back to the point you made Maria about the about the COVID situation it sounds like the threw you a massive curveball there. How did <laughs> how did you how was your adaptability to such a situation that was forced upon you you know out of nowhere really i i i mean i just looked into the hours i had which was in the night <laughs> just start sleeping for the first five weeks um and after it stabilized a bit i mean the thing the thing is that we had this whole we started in we started building the app actually we didn't start we started with the ux which was not my team uh, i am a terrible designer never used me for that uh so the ux team had 
one month January to actually fix the whole setup for the app. Then we started 1st of February, 2020. Yeah, it was 2020. COVID came on March and they were like, are you not done yet? And I was like, no, we're not done yet with your application to monitor all the patients. No, we are not. <laughs> um, so it was like, it was like crazy also because people didn't know what it meant. Uh, we were in the hospital. So we just saw things exploding around us. Uh, it was, it, it, I mean, that was just madness. Uh, I pulled in every developer and probably still own some favors here and there based on that one. <laughs> um, but, but I really pulled in everyone I could, uh, that I knew could, could help, uh, scale the product and help, uh, building the, the application. And then after a bit of a time, I don't know if you remember, but when we started coming, it started coming into the spring and the summer, and then people were like, oh, that was COVID, never going to happen again, be afraid. <laughs> and everybody thought that was a Bit of freezing space. <laughs> <laughs> we were running the waves in, the, in, in this one. It was, it was crazy. Um, would I do it again? Of course I would. But what a unique situation though <laughs> i mean yeah you can't yeah. say no to something like that it's like would you miss up your sleep for the next five weeks of course i would i mean you, you can't say no to that um but but we we got some time to to actually build it afterwards i think people understood that uh, the complexity of the application it was as i said a monitoring app and we received i mean 1000 data points per minute per patient uh, so and it had to go into a telephone, so you can see the complexity already. <laughs> uh, but it was it was fantastic. It was absolutely funny to to be a part of. I I, I thought of a question, but I actually have a comment first. So I think this ties very well to Henrik's point from earlier that you brought in the team and all those favors you still owe, but the people you brought in must have like the greatest sense of having contributed to something valuable. Mm -hmm. And so, so that touching back to the motivational aspects of, Hey, working your ass off five weeks or, well, there is a value to it. I understand the why I can see my contribution making a difference. That must've been huge. I could imagine. Uh -oh. Um, but my question was actually, um, uh, and sorry to, to keep, uh, Bugging you, um, but you said that you sort of reflected on your past, uh, your own managers and leaders, and and took uh, some aspects of their leadership and and took it upon yourself to act that, and you definitely discarded some aspects. Do you ever consider now how do you come across as a leader to future leaders? So they're taking parts of your leadership that hopefully they'll exercise or tailor to their leadership style in in the future. Is that something on your mind? No, but it should be. Maybe. I don't know if I do it. I, I was curious. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think I think you should. I think as a as a human, you should reevaluate yourself from time to time, also to see which direction am I pointing to, which direction am I going to. Um, yeah, quite recently, I did a funny uh, small game actually, uh, where I put up some stories on a board. Some of them were lies, some of them were true fun facts. It was really funny to see how people place those small stories. It gives you a picture of how people look at you. I can highly recommend that uh, small game. I know it, it. It is a good game, and people use it for the lies afterwards. Yeah, that's a that, that's a problem. But <laughs> yeah, but those are the really great stories. Yeah, but that's yeah, nice uh, view to to get their take on on how they see you. That's interesting. So at this point, I'd like to address a great question that's been made in the chat. You all mentioned shielding from 
internal stakeholders from pressure from above. But what happens when an when an engineer becomes stagnated or feels like they're operating on an old system? I think the example given was a legacy system. But what's your take on that? What what approach can be taken to remotivate them engineers? I I, I would say personally, what I always recommend to my senior leadership team is you need to have some sort of development tools available you know like a technical playground at least where you know tech engineers can be given that environment to you know break and learn as much as they they want to i know it's a, an investment but we, we have a an internal learning program called lex which you know it gives a good pathway to you know not be stagnated on a on a system uh, legacy because it yeah it is part of the problem you know when you work on some of these projects and they're you know they're they're seven year contracts sometimes you know technology evolves in such a a way you don't want to stifle innovation at all so there there needs to be the the time allowed as well for that technical investment and yeah just to just to really give that pathway to to whichever skill going back to the questions earlier about understanding where that person wants to go you, that's where you kind of build around that framework from my perspective yeah. i also think it's important to, to 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 create even though you have an old legacy system which might not develop a lot when you have tasks there you need to create room for for sort of playfulness or mm. if, if you want to call it that so 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 you you can sort of flex your technical muscles so it might be that you need to update part of the code but just doing a quick bug fix but if they come back and then say, well, I could simplify it by just spending a week and I could do so and so and so. I think it's important to, to create a space for that. So, so um, because I think we everybody has legacies, unless it's a completely new startup. But, but the company I work in is more than 40 years old. So we have plenty of legacy systems. Some run on like 386 Intel CPU. And and, and, and and there's a huge, huge impact. or was a huge difference in how you develop on those and versus the latest generation that 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 we have run now and and i think um, people can still be challenged in making things run better more elegantly smoother faster on the whole system but i also agree that if you just tell them well go fix that bug and nothing else that will be highly demotivated yeah some great points there i mean an old system was mentioned engineers becoming stagnated when they're using it another follow-up question on the back of that that somebody's posted is what are the technologies of the futures? From your perspective, have you seen anything that you think is worth a mention? You know, perhaps pushing in the right direction, something that seems to be rising? I think AI massively right now. You know, I'm sure we've all heard of GBT and what, what that's going to do, especially in my area. So I, I definitely see a shift. And also from a legality perspective, I will say there's more shift towards not just public cloud, but private cloud as well so we all know about the cloud but you know with with knowing that your data is secure and meeting all the gdpr and legal requirements and within certain region regions and you know with so much geopolitical warfare that seems to be going on around the world at the moment as well it's you know i i think what i see and the feedback i receive from our clients is you know they want to know that their data is safe and that, you know, that's why they're more shifting towards a build of a, a private cloud rather than public cloud and you know, putting all their eggs in one basket with, say, uh, Amazon, AWS or Google Cloud, Azure, et cetera, et cetera, and having some sort of hybrid in there. 
and they're willing to yeah. invest in that. Yeah. As I say, given my my current employer, I have to say blockchain technology, of course, is uh, is also here to stay. Uh, I'm not going to say it. I agree. Everything we, we say at the company needs to come with a disclaimer, not financial advice. So I'm not telling you to <laughs> go and buy all this stuff. But the technology underneath all of this is definitely all to state. It's not cost mentioned yeah. Smart contracts. Absolutely. Security and, and the distributed ownership uh, of a blockchain as opposed to the public cloud or these huge um, corporate uh, web uh, cl- or cloud services. So definitely that'll also be something to look into. Um, I don't know if, uh, if, if uh, was it the Lewis, uh, que- no, Alina's uh, question, if it ties to where to look, uh, it, it could be a combination of the questions uh, that she, she feels stuck on a stagnant technology and wants to say, what should I learn next? Maybe. But definitely getting into this space, getting in early on, understanding some of the core uh, components, that will be a huge benefit uh, over the course of the next year, five years, 10 years. Definitely, I see it that way including AI uh, in, in this uh, statement as well. So definitely uh, some of the things of the future. Okay. So for my end, I think um, not not to, to, because we also look into to AI and see that as an upcoming game changer, but sort of software-defined functionality in hardware, because we are, where I work, we're very hardware-oriented. But having the same kind of hardware that can do multiple things allow you to, to, to sort of do so much more with simplicity that you didn't think of when you designed the gadget. Like like back in, in the day, you could you could do amazing things with with the hardware of the time, but they couldn't do anything else. Right now, you, you might have something that works one way one day, and then the next year, you come up with something entirely new that you didn't think of when you designed it. But having that flexibility built into the hardware, um, I think is, is important when, when you are in the field of, of merging merging software with hardware. But I, I think that's a little different when you are in sort of more pure software fields. Uh, yeah, I think some great t- I think some great takes there. I mean, Maria, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, no, I would agree on the AI part. Uh, I mean, you don't get very far without, without, but if you're learning, looking into learning uh, new texts and new skills on that part, I would really highly recommend also to look into the structure of building a system because I've just seen people, like, it's it's a mess sometimes how to do that and people seem to disagree on it even though there's not much to to, to disagree on. So so I would mean that, that getting the, if you want to look into AI, then start with the basic core foundation of where to use it, what how to use it and and consider the new uh, European rules on bias AIs. That's really interesting, actually, to look into. But um, there's definitely a future there because I've heard the penalties are fairly high. I think that really ties in nicely to the next question. I mean, great question in the chat, Alina. But Jesper, I know you had something to post to the group, which is keeping on top of technical expertise and keeping updated. So yeah, let's pose that one. Yeah, it actually comes uh, comes a bit close. So so given that. We're discussing this transition from the hands-on engineering individual contributor track into leadership. And we we can't, unless we do like Maria doesn't sleep for five weeks, but we can't stay fully updated on all aspects on the technical side, on leadership, uh, the, the newest trends and organizational structures and whatnot. So so how do you guys best leverage, uh, say, what's left of your technical knowledge? How do, you, how do you take the past of individual contribution into your leadership? How do you leverage uh, that past? Any, any thoughts on that? I can I can have that up. So, so I completely agree. I have absolutely no time to to sort of delve into the technical nitty gritty details of stuff. So so any time 
that I do that is is in my spare time at home if I tinker with stuff. Um, so for me personally, the, the the technical aspect is actually the systemic knowledge that that because I've been part of my company for so long, and also what I had from from the previous company is that I kind of see the the interactions of of different subsystems. So so I can I can see how one subsystem interacts with another and how they can they can sort of co-evolve uh, so that instead of just saying we want this and then someone else has to deliver but they don't really understand why i can i can leverage my understanding of that to 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 making sure that if we put energy into one aspect in one department that brings benefit uh, to everybody and and that is we have to make important decisions on do we go with this way or that way then then at least i'm aware of, of the application of choosing one over the other how then will will impact uh, a lot of the other parts of the company technology development. I can't do that for all the parts, but but at least I think that is that is my sort of main technical reason to be <laughs> to be at the company besides being being. Um, so I don't know if it's typical. I don't know why you you guys. I guess uh, you can you can re- reiterate on that. If, if you also see yourselves as sort of being more systemic in how you view things than than being really focused, as I was initially when when I just came out of university. That's like I, I want to focus really hard on that one, um, and it becomes less and less. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Yes, but I think for me it's been more of like an organic growth. It's learning through working in the sense of okay how do I manage my time better in certain aspects and what do I allocate to what what are most important and what what needs to take priority and when when you start to prioritize what the business needs and what your role needs you start to organically realize okay um the where you need to shift your knowledge transfer and I generally do that by way of whether that's knowledge-based articles, especially in my field, or you know, um, meetings where the, there's a knowledge transfer, and then maybe give it a month for review, and then you know, ask those ask questions back to to my team to see how much they've actually absorbed and how much of that information they they're then taking and and the confidence within them as well. So yeah, I think it's it is how the the best way is to just. Yeah, organic growth effectively. Yeah, good point. I think for my part, part um, first of all, uh, not sleeping the first five weeks did not bring me up to date. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> no, no, no. I tried to look into getting 48 hours a day instead, but that didn't work either. I mean, it, you, you, can't really, you can't really be up to date on everything when you're trying to lead the team. But I think we should bring this back to the first question asked, uh, that you give some ownership to the people and then you actually trust them and when you discuss the solutions with them they have actually been looking into some solutions and can can point out some things and say this this is what i suggest and then you are able from that to pick it up you are not able to make the research on what solutions uh, is the best solution but but to trust the employees to trust the people working with you that they actually know what they are doing uh, gives you the benefit of not having to dig into every single technical aspect of, of the system um, but talking to them and, and, and making sure that the solution is, is the right one then the job is not to, to dig into to every single detail but to actually find out with the stakeholders that this is, is holding up especially when I was sitting with all the, the hospital apps there were like multiple things that we couldn't uh, 
go with. As I said before, open source were one of them. Uh, surprisingly, also push notifications were not a thing because the system were too old. But <laughs> we fixed that. We fixed that. We we got new telephones for the for the people there instead. It it was better. Um, but but things like that, you have some you have some constraints. You have some things you have to consider, uh, and that is actually more important than digging into every single technical solution. You have to fit the puzzle. You don't have to 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 understand the whole the whole break in my point uh, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a good point. I think as well, you can't always steer the ship and look yeah. after the engine room. You know exactly. <laughs> you need to you need to certainly uh, have trust and faith in that team behind you that they'll learn and pick it up along the way yeah it's a good three and steer the ship and look after the end i like that information <laughs> i like that coin term as well i think it's a great way of summarizing it and i think it ties very nicely to the question that henrik posed so in terms of the engine room you've got to delegate at some point so what was the question you posed to the group henrik uh, so my question was, how do you delegate your best or most unique technical skill set, that which makes you you and your workplace, which perhaps has been defining for most of your work? Um, and I, again, it really it actually ties well into some of the other questions, like how do you hand that off? Um, just do you have do you have thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's really about just uh, you know, like like I've just touched upon, you know, you've got to have the the trust and belief, and moving around how you're going to uh, effectively build the plan, your knowledge transfer, and uh, build into scale of the environment you're working in, knowing your teams, knowing the the layers of teams beneath you, and you know uh, that's the, the the next step to it, isn't it? So you almost need to have that shift left man mentality right so it's it's not just delegating your unique technical skill set to the people in your team but making sure that that information doesn't end up like uh, chinese whispers and then that information then becomes disinformation you know you you want to ensure that that is most accurate at all times and what's your take jasper Delegating your most, your biggest skills. Yeah. Would you go about it? Yeah, I would. Well, as I uh, hinted at earlier, I was never sort of my my technical skill set was never up there with with the best of my colleagues, and I had no uh, no fooling myself. So so actually, I want to take my hands in a slightly different direction. So over the past couple of years, my main skill set, my my defining uh, skill set, what I did for the organizations I was in, was agile coaching and scrum mastering for the teams and to the organization. And currently, in my current role, and also when, when looking ahead, I see myself transitioning even more into leadership aspects. So so I figured maybe now I'm actually in a transition phase where my current unique skill set is something I need to delegate. So so how do I coach teams uh, to make them capable and competent and feel secure enough to facilitate the agile processes for the organization to address the organizational structures uh, working with agile and all these things? So... What I do is I try to, first of all, figure out where have I made an impact? Where does it make sense to say this is something we should retain in the organization? We should do more of this. Uh, I also had a ton of experiments that uh, failed, so let's not uh, delegate those. But then coach on, okay, how can we empower the teams for something like facilitate retrospectives on their own and have them actually be intimate and, and meaningful meetings? How can we do that? How can I make them uh, capable of that? How can we coach the uh, product discovery and the product trio to have a meaningful discussion so we come out with some decision and we actually get some value from it? 
So trying uh, to step back more and more and into a coaching role to it. So I see that where I believe I made an impact is, is then delegated. Uh, and of course people don't have, I'm not asking people to do it the way I did it, but I'm asking them to acknowledge why I did it and then give their flavor uh, and their take on it. Um, so, so that's sort of my way of stepping away from my current unique skill set, making sure some of it is uh, left behind and some of it is uh, carried forward. Um, so, so a lot of coaching, a lot of uh, seeing where, where, when did I make an impact that I could see we could still benefit from in the future? And hopefully I got some of them right for that. That we'll, we'll never know. I believe one of my main skill sets were to find people to actually really fast speed up uh, things uh, for me. And I'm talking about, uh, I have had, I have been running, when I ran my uh, company before, I uh, also were taking a technical degree of uh, the master degree of uh, DTU. So... I did not always have the time to do everything perfectly in the university, but I did have the time to ask the people with the relevant knowledge. And and that part I brought into the company, as I said before, when we got the, the COVID ad, and how fast I were actually able to find the people, get them in my team and get started uh, escalating things very faster. Um, I've been using that so much. So knowing people's skill set and bringing yourself up to speed on the technical skill sets is actually one of the things that I apparently do very well and that I benefited from so many times. Um, and that I will always bring, I mean, to any work that I will do, I will always bring the, the, the knowledge of who can do what and where can I gain the knowledge. Uh, and if somebody asks something, where can I ensure that they will gain the knowledge needed to solve a, a specific task? Um, that helped me out several times and also the people around me. So, so that's, uh, yeah. I know this was a question you posed to the group, so I'd be intrigued to hear your opinion on it. Yeah. Um... I, actually, I posted it because I found it really difficult. Uh, also, because I mean, you you might try to hand it off to someone, and then they find out that hey, this was not actually for me, and then you're back to square one trying to fix stuff you made three years ago down deep down and at some tech component. Um, so, so for me, it's been been a been a long period where where. I actually still have parts where I where, where if, if uh, I got hit over the head, that functionality would be unnoticed. So, but but right now I've 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 uh, I've tried to dedicate a number of people to, to to take over from that, in in many aspects, not just in in some of the deep technical bits, but also in in sort of structure and process parts, so that everything, whenever someone new comes along, they get parts of it. Uh, and and I've tried to sort of split it out so that instead of having a huge chunk and saying, now this is yours, uh, and they can't really complain because it's the boss's old code, so they, you know, yeah. <laughs> they, they, they don't dare. Um, but 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 if you if you break it apart, it becomes uh, less daunting, and and hopefully it it also becomes a bit more fun because then then they are forced to work together as a team to to figure out how everything works instead of it just be one guy who buckles under the stress of trying to figure out what's going mm. I think that that is that has taken me a, a bit of time before that solution sort of presented itself as being both possible and, and a good idea I, I don't know if it's if it's worthwhile for everyone but at least that was that was for me. I, I think that really supports the resilience uh, of the team uh, so so you don't have this uh, was it the bus factor 
So yeah. how, how vulnerable are you if uh, if the guy who knows the service gets hit by a bus, right? So if you start by delegating the responsibility to multiple people and the team as a unit, then you have that uh, resistance to uh, people leaving, uh, people uh, not being in the office when decisions need to be made and, and so on. So that's a, a good point. Actually, I also want to uh, mention or something I thought of when, when you spoke before, Maria. I think, I know we touched upon our, our individual delegation of skill sets, but I think you made it a, a good point in that transitioning into leadership also means very much being aware of where to delegate certain tasks and responsibilities. So understanding your teams or your employees or the organization as a whole, if, if depending on the size, so you act as the link towards some ISAIC engineering. And if I'm presented with a problem from the outside organization, then it's my job to not just pose it to uh, all of them and see who, who takes the bait, but I actually know where can I efficiently and effectively delegate this task, knowing that they have the competence and the sort of the, the cognitive capacity to solve it at the moment. So the delegation becomes part of the leadership also in terms of tasks and responsibilities. Yeah. Yeah, yeah something actually I, I like I like to do within my team as well. Really understand and get to know a a, a skills matrix of you know understanding yeah. you know the the strengths of of your team members, and that really helps in ensuring a project deliverables a, a mess. And also brings us back to uh, at the beginning, uh, having a conversation with your team, saying what are you good at, what are your less good at presenting it kind of like a sandwich saying you are good at this you are not you could be better at this <laughs> and you're doing this great also yeah yeah but it definitely it's definitely to understand that we are not all good at everything at once and we can all improve and and it's not it's not a bad thing to say okay i'm not i don't know that part of the project i i don't understand it or i don't have the, the knowledge that's what it's about right team mm. together everyone achieves more so you know I would, that's, that's a good the whole the whole point <laughs> yeah cool. just answer the question that's in the chat there sam williamson's put a great question in so we mentioned earlier in terms of giving engineers the opportunity to become project managers giving them tasks that challenge them on a day-to-day -day basis but he's put forward the opposite perspective so once you go into engineering leadership is there any way you can go back on that and become an engineer and if so which way would you go about it i think that you definitely can. Um, I know multiple people who have done that. Uh, but what I also think is important to remember is that you might not go back to be the same engineers when you let that, that is part because maybe your old job is not there anymore. Maybe someone else has filled that role. You as a person probably has also changed, especially if it's been a while. I mean, if you've been a manager for a couple of years, it's probably really easy to switch back. If you've been a manager for 20, it's probably a lot more difficult because tech stack would be completely different but it would also mean that you could fill in different kinds of roles and and being uh have so much better support to a, uh, a future manager than than you than would otherwise be so so i think uh, you can definitely go back but you probably need to consider how you go about doing it because because thinking maybe you want to go back because you you, you remember that oh, i was so fun doing so and so 10 years ago but, but maybe you need to, to to rethink how you go about it and, and, and how you what kind of engineer do you want to be instead of what kind of engineer you were i think that would be you might take on that that's a good point actually i think i think yeah you're right you, you will never ever go back to the engineer you was if you take that step back in because you know technology as we've said is just progressing uh, at such an exponential rate um 
but yeah, it's important that you, you don't unlearn the, the fundamentals and, you know, you, you keep a track of where you want to go from an engineering perspective. I think there's, there's always the, the scope for, for growth wherever your next option. So it doesn't, doesn't mean you have to focus solely on leadership. I think it's interesting. So, so we've spent this, this session talking about the transition from engineering into leadership and what we talked about, what traits are you bringing in? Uh, what the technical expertise are you bringing into your leadership? But the transition here, as, as you guys, Justin and Henrik, uh, both mentioned is very interesting. So what leadership traits or understanding from a leadership perspective would you bring back into an engineering role and the individual contributor track? Probably you have the systemic overview, the architecture in mind, the company in mind, while you're doing the nitty-gritty hands-on code. Uh, so mm-hmm. it, it might be a separate uh, podcast episode, I don't know, but it's interesting that you would, you would bring in a different perspective all of a sudden, having seen the leadership side of things and been in that aspect. I think we might have a part two for you here, Connor. Sounds good, mate. I'm up for it if you need to go for it. I would just like to, to, to wrap it up a bit. I did that. I went from an engineering lead to an engineer where I am. At, uh, so I used to run a team, but right now I'm sitting as a product owner at VS Audiology. The reason to jump back to this one where actually the chance given while they're doing medical apps, that's uh, you know one of my my things that I really like digging into. Secondly, I was offered a chance to see, I mean, 150 engineers were working synchronously uh, at the same time. I just, I just had to try it. I have never seen uh, a company working. So, I mean, so in sync in the system, I have never seen a system perform so well. And I'm not just saying, I mean, there are open positions, but I mean, <laughs> it is it is uh, it is amazing to actually see it because I've been, I mean I've been running the team I've been having like a, a, my question word like what did you take with you because I had to reinvent myself very fast at that point because growing the team very uh, fastly and 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 thinking okay what kind of leader do I actually want to be now uh, with all this responsibility suddenly given to me um, and jumping back now. I mean, it's it's nice. It's nice. I am. Um, I never said I was gonna stay in this role, uh, and then don't think that they expect me to. That was not what they said to me in the interview, at least. Uh, the word was something like, "Let's see how far you can go." So, so. Uh, but I am starting here. I am trying to see this uh, setup. I have never seen something like that. It's really interesting to be a part of, and I am not sure that if I was the leader, that this was where I would start when I would set up a team. I mean, it's, it's it's just running so smooth. I've never seen something like that. So it's a pleasure to actually be able to see that as well and and, um, and get the experience of that. I wish I had that before, let's just say it like that. Well, I think on that note, I'm a little bit cautious of time. So I think we've wrapped up on all the questions that are in the chat. So I'd like to thank you all for some amazing contributions today. I think, as you say, there may be a part two potential there because I think it's been great. And I don't think an hour and 10 minutes was enough to get some of the points that we've discussed. And I think you'd all have more questions for one another so back in the chat we'll be discussing the option for that but if you'd like to feature on a future episode please feel free to reach me on linkedin connor leyland or drop me an email connor.leyland at evolutionnordics.com thank you everybody for today and i'll speak to you all soon